Volume Two, Chapter Twelve of A Charming Fellow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Charming Fellow by Francis Eleanor Trollope. Volume Two, Chapter Twelve. No Jupiter, rainy or thunderous, lent his assistance to account for the extraordinary phenomenon of Rhoda Maxfield's driving up to the garden gate of Ivy Lodge instead of arriving there on foot. On the contrary, it was a fine autumn evening with a serene sky where the sunset tints still lingered. Rhoda alighted hurriedly from the carriage, and walked up the few feet of gravel path between the garden fence and the house with a beating heart. "'You can go away now, Sally,' she said, being very anxious to dismiss the bluebell equipage before the door should be opened. But Sally was not in such a hurry. Her master had told her that she was to wait and see Miss Rhoda safe into the house, and then she might come back in the carriage as far as the bluebell. And Sally was not averse to have her new promotion to the dignity of riding in a coach, witnessed by Mrs. Algernon Errington's Polly, with whom she had a slight acquaintance. So Miss Maxfield's equipage was seen by the servant who opened the door, and stared at from the front parlour by two pairs of eyes belonging respectively to Miss Chubb and Mrs. Errington. "'You can go into the parlour, miss,' said Polly. "'Master and missus are still at dinner, but the old lady's in there, and Miss Chubb.' That they should still be at dinner at half-past six o'clock in the evening seemed a strange circumstance to Rhoda, and was one that she had not reckoned on, but she supposed it was according to the customs of the high folks Mrs. Algernon had been used to live among. The innovation was not accepted so meekly by most of the Whitfordians, whom, indeed, it seemed to irritate to a greater degree than more serious offences. But it is true of most of us that we are never more angry than when we are unable to explain the reasons for our anger. "'I'm afraid I'm too early,' said Rhoda, when she had entered the parlour and greeted her old friends. "'But father said he thought it was the right time to come.' "'Mr. and Mrs. Ancrum Errington dine late, my dear. Castalia has not yet got broken of the habits of her own class, as I have had to be. Indeed, she will probably never need to relinquish them. But it is no matter, Rhoda. You can make yourself comfortable here with us for half an hour or so. Miss Chubb called in to see me at my place, and I brought her down here with me. I knew Mrs. Ancrum Errington would be happy to see her if she dropped by in an informal way.' "'I never can get used to the name of Ancrum instead of Algernon,' said the spinster, raising her round red face from her woolwork. "'It isn't half so pretty. Nine times out of ten I call your son Algy plump and plain. I'm very sorry if it's improper, but I can't help it.' Mrs. Errington smiled with an air of lofty toleration. "'Not at all improper,' she said. "'Algernon is the last creature in the world to be distant towards an old friend. But as to the name of Ancrum, why, it was, from the first, his appellation among the Seelys, and Castalia always calls him so. You see, Ancrum was a familiar name in the circles she lived in, like Howard or Seymour, or any of the great old family names, you know. It came naturally to her. Well, I should think that one's husband's Christian name would come natural to one, even if it were only plain Tom, Dick, or Harry. He didn't begin by being her husband, my dear. Rhoda had nestled herself down in a corner behind a small table, and was turning over an album and one or two illustrated annuals. She hoped that the discussion as to Algernon's name would effectually divert the attention of the two elder ladies from the unprecedented fact that she had been brought to Ivy Lodge in a carriage. But she was not to be let off altogether. Miss Chubb, folding up her work, declared that it was growing too dark to distinguish the colours, and observed— "'I was standing by the window to catch the last daylight when you drove up, Rhoda. "'I couldn't think who it was arriving in such style.' "'That was the bluebell fly you were in, Rhoda,' said Mrs. Errington. "'I believe it to be the same vehicle that my daughter-in-law uses occasionally. "'She complains of it sadly, but I tell her she cannot expect to find her Aunt Celia's luxurious, well-hung carriages in a little provincial place like this.' Miss Chubb was about to make what she considered a severe retort, but she stifled it down. Mrs. Errington's airs were very provoking, to be sure, but there were reasons why Miss Chubb was more inclined to bear with her now than formerly. 
if it pleased this widowed mother to soften her disappointments about algy's career and algy's wife it began to be considered in whitford that both would prove to be failures by an extra flourish or two why should any one put her no said miss chubb to herself as the question was half framed in her mind that is not the right word certainly i defy the word to put mrs harrington out of conceit with herself but why should one snub and snap at the poor woman indeed miss chubb never snapped and rarely attempted to snub she had a fund of benevolence hidden under a heap of frothy vanities and absurdities like the solid cake at the bottom of a trifle well said she smiling good-temperedly i'm sure rhoda doesn't quarrel with the bluebell fly do you rhoda i shouldn't have wished to use it myself but father said it is rather a long way and father thought oh my dear there is no need to excuse yourself or to look shy on the subject we should all of us be glad enough of a coach to ride in now and then if we could afford it i am sure i should and i don't mind saying so mrs errington did not approve of the coach quite so unreservedly she observed with some solemnity that she was no friend to extravagance and that above all things persons ought to guard against ostentation or a thrusting of themselves into positions unsuited to that station in life to which it had pleased providence to call them and in conclusion she announced her intention of availing herself of the circumstance that rhoda had a carriage at her disposal for the evening to drive back with her as far as mrs thimbleby's door which said she is only a street and a half away from your house rhoda and it will not make any difference to your father in point of expense castalia found her three guests chatting in the twilight or rather she found mrs errington holding forth in her rich pleasant voice whilst the others listened and threw in a word or two now and then just sufficient to show that they were attending to the good lady's harangue in rhoda's case indeed this appearance of attention was fallacious for although she said yes and no and indeed at due intervals her thoughts were wandering back to old days which seemed suddenly to have receded into a far distant past castalia shook hands languidly with miss chubb and condescendingly with rhoda i'm very glad you've come she said to the latter which was a speech of unusual warmth for her and it had the merit moreover of being true castalia was not given to falsehood in her speech she was too supercilious to care much what impressions she made on people in general and if they bored her she took no pains to conceal the fact weariness of spirit and discontent had begun to assail her once more they were old enemies her marriage had banished them for a time but they gathered again like clouds which a transient gleam of wintry sunshine has temporarily dispersed and shadowed her life with an increasing gloom this young rhoda maxfield offered some chance of brightness and novelty she was certainly different from the rest of the whitford world and the pursuit of her society had been beset with some little difficulties that gave it zest a lamp was brought into the room and then castalia sat down beside rhoda unceremoniously leaving the other ladies to entertain each other as best they might she examined her guest's dress the quality of the lace frill at her throat the arrangement of her chestnut curls the delicate little gold chain that shone upon the pearl-gray gown the neatly embroidered letters r m worked on a corner of the handkerchief that lay in her lap with as much unreserve and coolness as though rhoda had been some daintily furred rabbit or any other pet animal on her part rhoda took cognizance of every detail in castalia's appearance attire and manner she marked every inflection of her voice and every turn of her haughty languid head and perhaps her scrutiny was the keener and more complete of the two notwithstanding that it was made with timidly veiled eyes and downcast head what an odd man your father is said the honourable mrs ancram errington by way of opening the conversation rhoda found it impossible to reply to this observation she coloured and twisted her gold chain round her fingers and was silent but it did not seem that mrs ancram errington expected or wished for a reply she went on with scarcely a pause i thought at first he would refuse to let you come here but he gave his consent at last i was quite amused with his odd way of doing it though he must be quite a character 
he's very rich isn't he i don't know ma'am stammered rhoda well he says so himself or at least he informed me that you were or would be which comes to the same thing and don't call me ma'am it makes me feel a hundred years old you and i must be great friends where is algernon asked mrs errington from the other side of the room he will come presently when he has finished his wine do you know we found that stuff from the bluebell that you recommended us to try quite undrinkable ancram was obliged to get jack price to send him down a case of claret from his own wine merchant in town most extraordinary exclaimed mrs errington and began to recapitulate all the occasions on which the wine supplied to her from the bluebell inn had been pronounced excellent by the first connoisseurs but castalia made small pretence of listening to or believing her statements indeed i am sorry to say that obstinate incredulity was this young woman's habitual tone of mind with regard to almost every word that her mother-in-law uttered whereby the honourable mrs castalia occasionally fell into mistakes could you not try dr bodkin's wine merchant suggested miss chubb i am no judge myself but i feel sure that the doctor would not put bad wine on his table oh i don't know i don't suppose there is any first-rate wine to be got in this place ancram prefers dealing with the london man and then castalia dismissed the subject with an expressive shrug who are your chief friends here she asked of rhoda who had sat with her eyes fixed on a small illustrated volume scarcely seeing it and feeling a confused sort of pain and mortification at the tone in which the younger mrs errington treated the elder my chief friends yes you must know a great many people you have lived here all your life have you not yes but father never cared that i should make many acquaintances out of doors you were methodists were you not i remember ancram telling me of the psalm singing that used to go on downstairs he can imitate it wonderfully do tell me how you lived and what you did i never knew any methodists nor any people who kept a shop the naive curiosity with which this was said might have moved some minds to mirth and others to indignation in rhoda it produced only confusion and distress and such an excess of shyness as made her for a few moments literally dumb she murmured at length some unintelligible sentences of which i'm sure i don't know were the only words that castalia could make out she did not on this account desist from her inquiries but threw them into the more particular form of a catechism as were you let to read anything except the bible on sundays i suppose you never went to a ball in your life how did you learn to do your own hair do the methodist preachers really rant and shriek as much as people say algernon coming quietly into the room beheld his wife and rhoda seated side by side on a sofa behind the little pembroke table and engaged apparently in confidential conversation they were so near together and castalia was bending down so low to hear rhoda's faintly uttered answers as to give an air of intimacy to the group he lingered in the doorway looking at them until miss chubb crying oh there you are sir called the attention of the others to him when he advanced and shook hands with rhoda whose fingers were icy cold as he touched them with his warm white exquisitely cared-for hand then he bent to kiss his mother and seated himself between her and his old friend miss chubb in a low chair stretching out his legs and leaning back his head as he contemplated the neatly shod feet that were carelessly crossed in front of him you did not expect to see rhoda did you my dear boy said mrs errington yes i believe castalia said something about having asked her it is a new freak of castalia's i think she had better have left it alone the old man is highly impracticable and is just one of those persons whom it is prudent to keep at an arm's length i think so too assented mrs errington emphatically indeed i almost wonder at his letting his daughter come here algernon quite wondered at it but he said nothing of course pursued mrs errington letting her come to me is a very different matter 
why asked miss chubb bluntly because my dear the girl herself is so devotedly attached to me that i believe she would fret herself into an illness if she were forbidden to see me occasionally and i believe old max is fond of his child in his way and would not wish to grieve her but of course rhoda can have no particular desire to visit castalia indeed i have offered to bring her more than once and she has not availed herself of the opportunity old max is ambitious for his daughter they say observed miss chubb and likes to get her into genteel company perhaps he thinks she will find a husband out of her own sphere i am told that old max is quite rich and that she will have all his money but i think rhoda is pretty enough to get well married even without a fortune then when mrs errington moved away to speak to her daughter-in-law miss chubb whispered slyly to algernon you were a little bit smitten with our pretty rhoda once upon a time sir weren't you oh it's no use your protesting and looking so unconscious la dear me well it was very natural calf love of course but i'll tell you between you and me who was smitten with her and pretty seriously too and that's mr diamond diamond well you needn't look so astonished he's a young man for all his grave ways and she is a pretty girl and upon my word i think it might do capitally you look tired algernon said mrs errington to her son a little later in the evening it must have been a very marked expression of fatigue which could have attracted the good lady's attention in any other human being oh i've been bored and worried at that confounded post-office what a shame cried mrs errington positively some representation ought to be made to government about it oh it's disgusting said castalia with a shrug of her lean shoulders and in the fretful drawl which conveyed the idea that she would be actively angry if any sublunary matters could be important enough to overcome her habitual languor i don't remember hearing that mr cooper found the work so hard said miss chubb innocently mr cooper had been the whitford postmaster next before algernon it isn't the work miss chubb said algernon a little ashamed of the amount of sympathy and compassion his words had evoked that is to say it's not the quantity of the work but the kind of it that bores one cooper i believe was a steady jog-trot old fellow who did his daily task like a horse in a mill but i can't take it so comfortably it is as if you with your taste for elegant needlework were set to hem dusters all day long algernon laughed in his old frank way as he made the comparison well i shouldn't like that certainly but after all dusters are very useful things and then you see i do the fancy work to amuse myself but i should be paid for the dusters and that makes a difference paid screamed castalia oh you don't imagine that ancram's twopenny salary can pay him good gracious it seems to me scarcely enough to buy food with it's quite horrible to think how poor we are come said algernon i don't think this conversation is particularly lively or entertaining suppose we change the subject there is Ro miss maxfield looking as if she expected to see us all expire of inanition on the spot and in truth rhoda was gazing from one to the other with a pale distressed face and a look of surprise and compassion in her soft brown eyes mrs errington did not approve of her daughter-in-law's unscrupulous confession of poverty castalia lacked the ancrum gift of embellishing disadvantageous circumstances and the elder lady took occasion to remark to miss chubb that everything was comparative and that means of which might appear ample to persons of inferior rank were very trivial and inadequate to the eyes of the honourable mrs ancrum errington she has been her uncle's pet for many years my lord denied her nothing and i needn't tell you my dear miss chubb that the emoluments of algernon's office-post are by no means the whole and sole income of our young couple here there are private resources here mrs errington waved her hands majestically as though to indicate the ample nature of the resources 
which to many persons would seem positive affluence but castalia's measure is a high one i scold her sometimes i assure you my dear child i say to her look at me bred amidst the feudal splendours of ancrum park i have accommodated myself to very different scenes and very different associates for of course my dear soul although i have great regard for my whitford friends and am very sensible of their kind feelings for me yet as a mere matter of fact it would be absurd to pretend that the society i now move in is equal in point of rank to that which surrounded my girlish years and then castalia's perhaps partial estimate of her husband's talents you know she has witnessed the impression they made in the most brilliant circles of the metropolis makes her impatient of his present position for myself feeling sure as i do that this post-office business is merely temporary i can look at matters with more philosophy Oof panted miss chubb and began to fan herself with her pocket-handkerchief anything the matter miss chubb asked algernon raising his eyebrows and looking at her with a smile nothing particular algy i find it a little oppressive that's all this little room is so stuffy with more than two or three people in it said castalia i'll do my part towards making it less stuffy said miss chubb jumping up and beginning to shake hands all round i dare say my old martha is there i told her to come for me at nine o'clock oh never mind thank you in answer to castalia's suggestion that she should stay and have a cup of coffee which would be brought in presently never mind the coffee i have no doubt i should find a bit of supper ready at home and with that she departed i hope it wasn't too severe that hit about the supper said the good little woman to herself as she trotted homeward accompanied by the faithful martha but really offering one a cup of coffee at nine o'clock at night and as to mrs errington i am sorry for her and can make allowances for her but she did so go beyond all bounds to-night that if i had not come away when i did i think i should have choked is the little woman affronted at anything asked algernon of his wife when miss chubb's footsteps had ceased to be heard pattering down the gravel path outside the house eh? what little woman oh the chub no i don't know i suppose not no no not at all said mrs errington decisively but you know her ways of old she has no savoir faire a good little creature poor soul oh by the way castalia you know the patterns for autumn mantles you asked me to look at well i went into revels and sarsnets yesterday and they told me and then the worthy matron and her daughter-in-law entered into an earnest discussion in an undertone the common interest in autumn mantles supplying that touch of nature which made them kin more effectually than the matrimonial alliance that united their families i am afraid you must have had a very dull evening said the master of the house looking down on rhoda as he stood near her leaning with his back against the tiny mantel-shelf no thank you i am afraid you must there was no amusement for you at all my evenings are not generally very amusing i i dare say you who have been accustomed to such different things would find them very dull this was not the humble simple childlike rhoda whom he had parted from two years ago it was not that she had now no humility or simplicity but the humility was mingled with dignity the simplicity with an easier grace rhoda was more self-possessed at this moment than she had been all the evening before the weakest creatures are not without some means of self-defence and if she be but pure-hearted the most inexperienced girl in the world can put on an armour of maiden pride over her hurt feelings that has been known to puzzle even very intelligent individuals of the opposite sex and has perhaps given rise to one or two of the numerous impassioned complaints that have been uttered from time to time as to the inscrutable duplicity of women in like manner if a man scalds his finger or gets a bullet in his flesh he endeavours to bear the pain without screaming so little rhoda maxfield sat there with a placid face talking to her old love turning over the leaves of a picture-book and scarcely looking at him as she talked now if algernon had been consulted beforehand as to what line of conduct he would wish rhoda to adopt when they should meet he would doubtless have said 
let us meet pleasantly and frankly as old friends and behave as if all our old love-making had been the mere amusement of our childhood and yet somehow it a little disconcerted him to see her so calm you don't you don't you go out much in the evening he said feeling to his own surprise considerably at a loss what to say go out much in the evening no indeed where should i go to rhoda actually gave a little laugh as she answered him oh i thought my mother mentioned that you were a good deal at the bodkins yes i go to see miss minnie sometimes they are all very good to me and my mother says too that you are growing quite a blue stocking you have lessons in french and music and i don't know what besides father can afford to have me taught now and so i have begun to learn a few of the things that girls are taught when they are little children if they happen to be the children of gentlefolk answered rhoda with considerable spirit i am sure there is no reason why you should not learn them i hope not but of course i am clumsy and shall never succeed so well as if i had begun earlier i am getting very old you know oh very old indeed your birthday i remember falls he checked himself with a sudden recollection of the last birthday he had spent with rhoda and of the bunch of late roses he had been at the pains to procure for her on that occasion from the gardener at pudcombe hall and on the whole he felt positively relieved when slater came to announce with her chronic air of resentful gentility that miss maxfield young woman was waiting for her in the hall and are you off too mother he asked yes my dear algernon i am going to drive home with rhoda drive oh so you are indulging in the extravagance of a fly madam i am glad of it though you did give me a lecture on the subject of economy only last week you know that i always do and always did disapprove of extravagance algernon a genteel economy is compatible with the highest breeding but the fact is that rhoda has a coach to go home in and i am about to take advantage of it there was something in the situation which algernon felt to be embarrassing as he gave his arm to his mother to lead her to the carriage but mrs errington had at least one quality of a great lady she was not easily disconcerted she marched majestically down the garden path entered the vehicle which old max's money was to pay for with an air of proprietorship and invited rhoda to take her place beside her with a most condescending wave of the hand you must come again soon castalia had said to her new acquaintance when they bade each other good-night but algernon did not support his wife's invitation by a single word though he smiled very persistently as he stood bareheaded in the moonlight watching his mother and rhoda drive away End of chapter 12